Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Many times when we, we have an opportunity to share, I, I tend to overthink and I tend to, I, I, I have this issue with me sometimes where I, I want to perform. I want to do something great for God. I want to do something significant. I want to you know, do all these. I want to see breakthrough and all this. And, and the error there is that it becomes all about me and not about him. So tonight, I just want to just share something simple and and I just, I believe that you will hear something for yourself through it. But it's something that comes from my own life. To be honest, uh, many times I tell Mei Ling this, I say, I've actually only got one sermon. I know there's another preacher who says this, but I, it's true of me as well. I've got one sermon, it's just really long. <laughs> and when I get the chance to share, I just pick up pieces of it. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of it comes from my own brokenness, my own journey in life, the own, my own struggles. And uh, tonight I really felt like God wanted to reveal himself um, as a father all over again. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I didn't grow up. If, if people saw my life, they would think, hey, you've got great parents. You know, how dare you say you have problems? There are so many people who have worse off than you. I do have great parents, and they were loving. They didn't abuse me. They, they, they fed me. They, they, they provided for us. But the truth is, even if you have the most amazing parents in the world, you were designed to be fathered by God. And even if you had perfect parents who, who would win awards every year for being the greatest parents on the planet, you would still be missing something because we were designed to be born into the presence of a heavenly father. Right? Because Adam, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't just cut themselves off. They cut off all of humanity from his presence. And we were actually designed, imagine if they hadn't fallen, we were designed at the moment a baby is even conceived, he goes from the heart of God into, uh, and, and is conceived in a woman. As he comes out, he's coming into the presence of his heavenly father. And that's the first face he sees, right? Because without the fall, we would not be blind spiritually. He would have come out into the face of his heavenly father, and bam, there is heavenly father, perfect no error. It can be everywhere at the same time. And he's there to embrace that baby and say, welcome to the earth. I'm so excited. You were in my heart. You're an idea in my head. I had all these unique things about you in my heart. And now you're physical. You're real. You're going to be with me for eternity. I get to enjoy you and see you grow and see you mature and develop and, and paint and draw and run around and break things and, and, and climb up trees and, and, and run after the gorillas. Can you imagine the heart of this God? who's so excited to see every child born, you know. And, um, and for me, this journey of discovering God as my father has, uh, I, uh, it sounds so selfish, but that's actually almost everything I care about when it comes to, to what I think is worth sharing, is discovering him as a father, discovering Christ, as our Savior, our Lord, our Master, discovering what He did on the cross, I, I don't think I can ever get away from that, right? Who I am now, who we are now because of Christ. So, so something I'll share tonight will hopefully be in that realm. Um, uh, I, people tell me I apologize too much when I preach, so forgive me if I do, but, oh, there's one right there. <laughs> but uh, um, a lot of what I sometimes do is, I'll share, f I sometimes forget to quote scripture, so please forgive me if I do that. And sometimes I even quote, I misquote scripture. <laughs> All right, so, so don't throw stones, keep them in your pockets. All right, uh, if you came prepared. <laughs> um, but sometimes I'll quote, uh, I'm a very imaginative person. And I spend a lot of time sometimes lying awake at night, closing my eyes and just imagining God or what he's trying to say to me. I'm very picture in my mind, you know, even worship. Oftentimes, like, God, if I could just see what it's like to worship in heaven right now and, and see what's around here, what I can't see, I just, I love to live in that space. And I've been like that since I was a kid, and God doesn't seem to mind. So sometimes I'll share a picture 
that I, that I went through in a time of prayer, and I only share it because I feel sometimes those pictures to me bring a bit more reality than sometimes what we see every day. So I just ask you to take it with a pinch of salt. Judge it like you would a prophecy. Is it aligned with the word? Is it something that God's speaking to you and confirms it? Uh, just because I saw it doesn't necessarily mean you have to swallow it whole. It's the same thing as prophecy if I share a picture with you. So I kind of just felt like I should start with a picture. Um, and I don't know why I'm sharing this, but this is how I felt to start. I, I had a problem with significance my whole life. When I was in college and university, I would do silly, silly things just to get people's attention. You know, I would hang off the side of a building and be like, hey guys, look at me. I was that guy. I was that guy. You know the group of friends? It was the guy who's like, look at me. You know, wasn't saying it, but that everything I was doing was saying it, look at me. Maybe that's why I started preaching. <gasps> right? <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I'm so attracted to this podium and this platform. I want the attention, right? So, uh, whew. So, um, I was that guy, and 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 I've and I've often wondered why I have this this chip on my shoulder because, see, oh, I forgot. It's a problem. I mean, it's okay, you know. You go with friends; they understand. Oh, he's Moses is that kind of guy, you know. I was once going out with friends, and I literally set my arm on fire just to catch their attention. Um, really silly, silly things. Yeah, impressing the wrong crowd. Wrong crowd you draw when you do stuff like that to impress. And um, so I struggled with this thing, and, and it didn't become a big problem until I realized something. When you can't raise yourself higher than others, and you got this issue like mine, you tend to cut others down so they're not as high as you. And I did that. You know, even around like Ewan, my wife, I would, I would find ways to, to subtly sabotage, subtly. You know, I, I would I would be in, in I was a church leader. I am a church leader, and I would be in, in, in meetings, and people would say, "Oh, have you heard of this minister?" And I wouldn't say anything bad, wouldn't say anything good about myself, but you know, I'd say, "Oh yeah, I heard he's great," but you know, I also heard that they have some problems with this, and they've had issues like this in the past. But you know, I'm sure what they're doing is great. But I just heard, and I do that with people too, right? Hey, what do you think of this leader? Should we make her a leader? I said, yeah, I mean, she's wonderful. She's got a great heart for ministry. You say all the sandwich it, right? Good stuff first. And in the middle, I'll slip in my own version of gossip, my own version of my doubts or judgments, and put some good stuff at the end so I still sound Christian. <laughs> right? I would do that. And, and God highlighted this during a time of prayer. He said, you know, Moses, you, not only does your insecurity cause you to do some pretty crazy stuff, and I've had to save your life a number of times, but you cut others down. And it doesn't help you, it doesn't help them, and it hurts God's heart. You know, God was speaking to me about this. And in time of prayer, um, and there are other issues going on uh, that I don't feel like highlighting just yet, but in a time of prayer, God brought me to a, a memory, and it's the weirdest thing that I have this memory. I have some memories of myself as a child that I've actually had my mom confirm because I would ask her and she'd be like, oh yeah, I think I have a photo. And she'd look up a photo and it's like, how did you know that? So here's the thing. In most babies are born, they've got a blue tag, boys. And green girl, they'll have a pink tag with your parents' names so they don't lose you. I had a pink tag and I think it's because they ran out of blue tags, right? I hope there's no identity issue in my life because of that. <laughs> but um, I remember having a pink tag and I remember asking my mom, and my mom's like, how can you even know that? You were, I mean, babies don't even have, like, I don't think they had color vision at the time, but I just knew I had a pink tag. And somehow in this uh, picture in my head, I was praying, and just before the Lord in his presence, I remember seeing myself, and I had a pink tag, and I was lying in this clear plastic box, right, where they put the baby in. My mom was a, uh, I was a C-section baby, so they had to, you know, after my mom was general anesthesia, she was out like a light. And they put me in this box and they wheeled me away. And I remember seeing myself in this place with a whole bunch of other babies crying. And I could hear them crying. And I, and I heard my own voice, right? And I was hearing this in my heart as I was praying before the Lord. I heard this. I said, nobody cares I'm here. Nobody, it, I don't matter to anyone. No one's here to welcome me. And it's just the same three words, just um, three little phrases just repeating in my head. And I was praying, I was like, God, is this what my heart's saying? Is this what's down inside there? What's going on? And, and I see this picture, you know, that kind of moves in my head. And, I'm, and my mom is, is giving birth to me, right? Like they're cutting her. And um, 
you know, I, I, I'm pulled out. I, it, it's really splotchy. I don't know about you. It's not like a movie in my head. It's, it's kind of little details in there. But what I remember feeling is I feel cold. My, my, some hands, I don't know whose, are pulling them out. I feel unwelcome. I feel it's dark. It's, it's, it's really cold. That's the thing in my head. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold. No one's here. No one's here. And I get wheeled away, and that's it. And, um, and I'm like, God, is this what really happened? Is this a symbol? What is this? And he didn't really answer. He just showed me like as if that video, video kind of rewound. And he played it again. And this time, as I remember seeing these gloved hands come in. I don't know where I was. I guess it's in my mother's womb. But you know, I just see this darkness. He gloves hands pull me out. And suddenly, it was different before. Instead of just a cold, dark room, I remember just seeing bright light, like golden rays of light. As if you could see light, just rays of golden light everywhere. And I see this, this guy pulling me out, and he's got the wildest hair. I mean, maybe he's Persian, because he's got this amazing curls, right, of like just big hair, big wild hair, like hair that's not even practical. It's there for non-practical reasons. It's curly, and, and it's... Uh, he wasn't blonde. It was kind of this similar to our friend here, like this. Yeah, <laughs> he looked a lot like you. He looked a lot like you. I didn't get this. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see his face. He had this uh, medical mask that was green on, but I saw his eyes. And if eyes could laugh, he had laughing eyes. He was. He just. When I saw his eyes, I was like, "You are the happiest person," because I've never seen someone as happy as you. And he, he pulls me out, and he rips off his mask. And I just hear the loudest shout I've ever heard in my, in my heart, in my life. And he goes, Welcome! And the moment he does that, it's like I could see th other beings in the room. Uh, you know, some were tall, some were short. I couldn't really figure out. I mean, now I think they might be names. Well, I don't know. I, I can't say because I don't know. But all of them, they just jumped up and started spinning around. And they were happy because he was happy. And the whole room was just shouting welcome. And at that moment, I, you know, this is me at home, right, just praying. And I seeing that, and I don't know why, I started to cry. And it was like there's a stone in my heart that kind of just fell out. Wow. And God said this to me, and I think, I believe he said this to me. I just heard this still small voice said, Moses, no one, when he said no one, it's not that my parents weren't around. My dad had to wait in the outside room. My mom was under general anesthesia. She couldn't, you know, immediately grab me. I don't think the doctor, I'm probably like the seventh delivery the doctor did that day. Maybe it was the end of his shift. But God said, he said, no one was welcome. No one was there to welcome you, but I was there. I was here to welcome you into this earth. And then he said this to me, which I love about prayer, right? Because you get revelation when God speaks. He said, Moses, I am there. I am, I am there to welcome every baby born on this planet. And I caught something. And I can't quote you a scripture. I could find a few to put it together, right? But I, and so forgive me for that, but I believe this in my whole heart. Every time a baby's born on this planet, God the Father is there to welcome that baby into his presence, into eternity. But they're not aware. They don't know it. They can't sense his presence because of sin. We are all blinded. They, they, they don't know he's there. Many babies are born into very painful situations. And if only they knew, if only they could see in the spirit, right? That their heavenly father's there going, Welcome! I've been waiting forever for you. <laughs> literally, literally forever. And that's where this idea comes from. That every, and I believe in my whole heart, every one of you, before you were born, you were in the heart of God. And you were this amazing combination of some of his dreams some of his desires, some of his tastes, some of his, his purposes, some of his unique personality. And he molded specifically you together in this unique configuration that no one else has. Not even your fingerprints are the same. Not even your dental sets are the same. And he put you together and he said, oh, I can't wait. And the amazing thing is our God's so patient, right? He's not like me. I need, I need gratification right now. I want my presents now. I want to open them before Christmas. God's so patient. He births you as a baby. And he watches you and he says, you know what? I get to enjoy you every day. I get to see you grow. I get to see what you enjoy. I get, you, I get to see you say you hate basketball and you love painting. I get to watch you love chocolate and hate strawberry. I get to see you, to see you love green and not like blue. 
And God gets to watch this beautiful seed he planted out of his own heart and watch you mature into the fullness of everything he desired for you. And, he's, and, and to me, if you want to know what God's doing <laughs> when he's not busy, I don't know. I just know that he loves watching us. As much as I love, I mean, he, today, he, today my son had a breakthrough. He had a major breakthrough. Okay, this is how major his breakthrough was. In the past, when he reaches for his train, he goes two hands for the train and plops straight on his chest and he goes, ah, and then gets distracted by the train and grabs it. <laughs> today, my son, for the first time in his whole life, first time in his whole life, he let himself down slowly and then reached for the train. I was ecstatic. I was just like, yes! <laughs> first time father, forgive me for my, <laughs> my strange enthusiasm. But can you imagine God? Can you imagine that moment for many of us when we finally got born again for real? I grew up in a Christian family. I didn't, I didn't know him for myself and in a personal relationship until I was in my teenage years. Can you imagine that moment in his heart? No wonder he says all of heaven rejoices when even one comes to the kingdom. I love spending time in God's presence because then the scripture makes even more sense. But I just want, I don't know why, I just felt I should share that with you. And you know, here's the thing. I didn't change overnight. I had that prayer session. I cried a bit. You know, wiped my eyes before my wife saw me. Still very Asian, Chinese background male. Don't cry before the wife. There's a lot of that comes with that. Don't dance in church. Don't take your shoes off. Going against the culture. Going against the grain. Hopefully not for significance, right? But, um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Only you know. But here's the thing, right? When it got real was when my wife, when my friends started to say, Moses, something's different. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know where you went or what you did, but something's different. Took less risk in my job, which was at the time financial trading. Did less stupid things, to be honest. Just foolish things. Did less of it. And I really believe this. I believe that every time God speaks to us, every time he touches our heart, it's not just a mental agreement he's looking for. He's not looking for you to go, I agree, God, and now I'll have a five-step program to put this into practice. And every time I do it wrong, I'll snap myself with a rubber band and say, ouch, I won't do it. That. It's, it's not meant to engage your own human pride and your own control or power of yourself. It's supposed to touch something deep inside you that's searching for Father God that you were missing, that we all are missing from the beginning. And when it touches you, you don't do anything. You just, there are things you do do in the faith. Don't get me wrong. It's not all just sit and receive. There are things that heaven is taken by violent force. But there are some things you can only get by sitting like a child and receiving from your father. And, and I believe that some things like these, when you receive it from him, you'll see your life shift. And I want to add to this. You know, when we do youth ministry, because of the experience I've had, I, I've tried to not be a hypocrite. I've tried to fall in these steps. And especially in youth ministry, we try not to do behavior modification in our system. You know, I grew up in a system where when you came to church, the first thing you were taught was not Jesus. You were taught how to be a Christian. When to raise your hands, when it was appropriate to sit and not to sit. Don't sit at the wrong time. All right? God will be unhappy if you sit down when everyone's standing. Got to raise your hands. When the pastor says repeat after me, you got to repeat. I did, you know, like I have some friends who did not know that you know, when you said, um, what's this? Oh, I can't remember now. It's, uh, God is good. All the time. I, some friends of mine did not know. They did not read the chapter and verse that talks about that. And they missed out because they were embarrassed when everyone else did it and they didn't. Right? We have all these, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with ordinances and rituals and practices. They come from a good place. But sometimes I find that we get lost in those and we forget about Christ and the gospel and the heart of being community. And in youth ministry, oftentimes what we put more to the front is how you behave and not what's in your heart. And I found, that especially with young people, you got to give them a chance to let their heart show. So one of the things that we did in youth ministry is we never did a rule list. Or at least we took it away. And here's the thing, when you take away a list of rules, you see who's really underneath there. 
and kids would come in, and finally, I did not know you had a full or half sleeve tattoo. No, you always hit it until the moment that we didn't say there's nothing wrong with it. I didn't know you liked this kind of music. I didn't know that you have a drinking problem and used to smuggle vodka in water bottles to our youth service. I didn't know all these things until we took away the behavior modification and the heart came out. And when the heart came out, we got to see who they really were. And when you see someone as they are, you get to love them as they are. And when they know that you love them as they are, it's not fake, and they know you're not just doing some ministry thing or trying to be Jesus, when they realize it's really coming from your heart, they open up. And that's when they experience love and they experience change and they experience discipleship. Because it's no longer me trying to get you to follow my, agen my agenda. It's now me really wanting to know where you're at. And, um, and I believe that's what God wants. You know, he wants everyone to experience the love of the Father. I, I'll be honest with you, there are times where I, especially when I first came back from being backslidden, I would shout profanities at heaven, strings of profanities. I, I had so much anger and angst inside of me, anger against my parents, the church, my situation, myself, oh, self-loathing to the max. And I would just shout, I was so angry, I'd just shout profanities at heaven. And, and amazingly enough, I was not struck by lightning. Not recommending you do that, don't take the chance. <laughs> joking, joking. I have to say joking because I'm being recorded. Please don't clip that, take me out of context, and put me on YouTube. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but I, I would just shout at God. And, and you know what he would say back? He'd say, oh, Moses, I waited so long, so long for this. Not for the profanities. I waited so long for you to be honest with me. I just wanted you to be honest. What were you feeling, son? And what that taught me now when we have young people just angry. I mean, maybe they just got heartbroken. Maybe his first girlfriend, who he thought he was going to love for all eternity, broke up with him and, you know, is now dating some other guy in there in, in, in grade school. And he comes to you brokenhearted when he's angry and he doesn't understand why this happened and he's just shouting and, and anger and Moses, I, and I don't think God cares. I've learned to hear his anger without getting stumbled by his words. And I've learned to hold back my tongue and not teach and not correct and not try to stand up for God. God's not offended. God's not, not insecure. He's not, how dare he say that to me? Moses, do something. He's not at all. And in fact, sometimes I can hear, hear God say, do you hear it, Moses? Do you hear his anger? Do you hear his frustration? Do you hear how much his heart breaks? My heart breaks for him. And when I hear that from God, I can't be angry anymore. Instead, I just want to hug the guy. I, and sometimes guy's not comfortable, you know? They're like, what's this? Why is this minister touching me? <laughs> I've heard news stories about this. <laughs> it's not that. But, you know, you just, when I've learned the heart of God, still learning, that's when I really find I can minister to that person. That's where I found I can really connect. And, and I just felt like, like God wants to remind us today that every one of us, we want our hearts hurt. We want to know that there's someone there who cares, that, that can not just care for us from a position of being higher and, and greater. See, I always, when I was growing up, I grew up in church. I'm a third generation uh, called to the ministry. My granduncle um, pioneered ministry and missions in, in Philippines, going to tribes that didn't even have a, some of them uh, didn't have a written language. They had a, a oral history, oral culture, but no written language. And I remember when he shared stories, he'd say, when we went there, we didn't share the gospel. The first six months was what to eat, what not to eat, how to wash yourselves, how to build a house. It was that basic, super basic stuff in some of these places. Um, he said some places you'd go, like literally people would eat together with pigs and dogs because in their culture, all are equal. And the first thing he would teach them the gospel is, see this in the Bible? You were not made to be the same as animals. You are the greatest of his creation, his most loved. You know, that was, that's how they, they started. So, so I've had a, two, you know, I've been surrounded by preachers and ministers and all that stuff. But there are many times I felt I wasn't heard. There are many times I felt I was conforming to a bunch of rituals or practices and not really... I felt like God was so far away. I felt like God didn't even like me, right? He had to love me because of what Jesus did. He had no choice. 
right? So Jesus is like this cardboard cutout, right? He's this, this like, this, you know, the McDonald's statue. And he's, he's there, and he's got both hands out because he died on the cross, right? So it's like <laughs> and he's loving, and he's great, and all that. And I'm here trying to hide. I'm trying to conform to this image. I'm trying to hide in him so the Father doesn't see me and strike me lightning. That's how I grew up. I always thought, I've got to do a certain thing, act a certain way, because if not, I'd get in trouble, I'd get punished for it. And not only that, I thought that when Jesus died on the cross, he did so because he's awesome. I mean, he's philanthropic. He is, he is giving and generous. He's like, like Bill, and, and Bill and Melinda Gates, better than Bill and Melinda Gates, giving money you know, to, to Africa. He's, he's an amazing guy because he's so great. Doesn't necessarily like me, but he's just a great guy, and he died for me. And because he died for me, my whole job now that I'm a Christian is to do enough in my life to prove that I was worth the price. To do enough in my life to show that I wasn't a waste of his sacrifice. To prove that I loved him. Because I would always hear this in church, right? If you love Jesus, you do this. If you love Jesus, you do this. Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Then we should da-da-da. If we love Jesus, we should da-da-da. So I felt like I was a hostage, right? Somehow I had prayed the prayer of salvation, didn't realize it, got put on this ship, right? A fellow hostages headed for heaven someday. But it's, it's, it's got like holes in the bulkhead, right? So we're slowly sinking. I thought I was a hostage. And now that I'm on the ship, I can't get off. Now that I know about hell, I can't get off. I jump off, I'm dead. But if I stay on, I've got, a, I've got all these rules and I just couldn't live up. Oh, pastor's kid, two generations of pastors and missionaries, worse. Right? I've got all these extra rules and expectations. And I always thought that, that yes, I know God loves, loves me. I know God is good. I know God heals the sick. I know, but because he's God, because he's perfect, because he's far away. Of course he heals the sick. He never gets sick. Of course God is generous. Of course he gives us uh, food and provides our needs. How can we complain when he's already died for us? Why would God care that I don't have enough of this in this season or I'm missing that in the season? That was my thinking. I'd never say it out loud. The only the biggest difference now is I can say it out loud. I would never say that out loud before. I would go to church and I would really feel, you know, as a missionary family, we didn't have much. And every six months, we would pray for the tuition fees to go to school the next six months. My mom worked in the library part-time just so we could get a, a discount. And I remember thinking, how come all the other kids have this and I don't? Why is our family so weird? And we keep saying we're blessed and hallelujah and amen. This is just a child asking. I know I can give you theological ideas and, and prove to you why that's all not right. But from a child's perspective, that's how I felt. Honest to goodness, that's how I felt. And feeling that way did not change just because I went through Bible study, because I memorized verses, because I learned to proclaim and declare. I still felt that way sometimes. And I realized something. When we, yes, there are times where we don't feel the right way and we motivate ourselves into faith. We allow God to encourage. We believe even though we don't see. I understand that. But I also know this about at least myself and I think everyone here can identify. There are times where your heart doesn't feel like it's in faith. There are times where your heart is divided. There are times where your heart questions things. And I've learned this in my journey that as we seek God as sons and daughters, what sons and daughters do is we learn to come to Father and say, honestly, this is how I feel. I know it's not true. I know your scripture says this. I memorized that stuff. I know it. But I just need you to know this is how I feel because I know you're a safe place. You're safe enough that I can tell you, God, that right now I don't feel full of faith. Right now I don't feel born again. Right now I don't feel the righteousness of Christ. Right now I don't feel. And I know it's not about emotions and feelings all the time. But I can tell you this, if you did feel that way, it's a lot easier to believe. It's a lot easier to step into a miracle. It's a lot easier to pray for someone else to see their breakthrough when you do feel in alignment with the word. Nothing wrong with, feel, nothing wrong with feelings, right? But we, it's not good when we suppress them, we deny them because we become divided in the heart. And the Bible says this, he who is double-minded is like a wave tossed by the wind unstable in all his ways, let not he think he would receive something from God. It's about faith, right? James talks about it. So, so the quest I went on this journey was because I wanted my prayers answered. 
I wanted to be like what they said in the Bible, to have faith that could move a mountain. Faith of mustard, they would tell this mulberry tree, uproot yourself and be planted in the ocean and it would. And I didn't have that. I was a head of a healing ministry and I saw people die around me. <laughs> you know, we, we prayed. And it, it, was, it got to a point where I had more, I, I can, rem here's the sad thing, right? I can tell you so specific every time someone died. I had nine specific cases, but I cannot really remember every specific time God healed. It's a human thing. We focus on the negative sometimes. Excuse me, I'm just going to take off this jacket. Good. You know, being Asian, it's like, we're not, I mean, Singaporeans, sorry, I can't, there's people in China near Russia who are, take cold like nothing. For Singaporean, I'm always afraid of cold, and then I come here, I'm like, a down jacket was not a good idea. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. What time should I close up? Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me, Pastor. Just joking. Uh, I, I'm sure he, he's got something figured out. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, I'm shaking my head because I, I actually really don't like it when I prepare like a whole bunch of notes and he takes me right off the path and but it's okay. But um yeah, I, I always saw God as this guy who's really far away. And then one day, and of course you read that verse in the Bible that says that he's not a God who does not care, but he can commiserate with us, he can understand how we feel, sympathize with us. I read that verse so many times, but it didn't, it wasn't alive in my heart. And then one day, I was in a prayer session. I think there was like, uh, no, there's no worship that day, but we were just praying together. There are some more mature leaders around. I was praying with one of them. And I remember uh, God showing me this picture. I was in this cave, the weirdest pictures I've seen in my head. And I was in this cave and I was crying. And I was against a wall. This is now. I know in, the, in my head it was a cave, but I felt like God was saying, and maybe this for you, sometimes you feel like you're against a hard place. Sometimes you feel like you're hidden from God. You're away from His presence. You're away from His light. You're away from the glory. You feel like you enter a church and everyone is like, Hosanna, and you are there in, this, in like the eye of the storm, but it's the bad kind of eye of storm. You're the one without the presence. You're the one where God doesn't feel that great today. Everyone else is hallelujah, and you're just like, I don't feel good. Things are not going well. That was the cave for me. And I remember in this picture, God showed me I was in this cave. And I wasn't there interceding for myself or the nations. I wasn't there, you know, um, travailing in prayer in spite of the difficult circumstances. I wasn't. I was crying. I was like a two-year-old boy or maybe one, like a lot like his size. So cute when he sits like that. I was, I was sitting in the corner like that, similar to what he was doing. But I had my knees up. You know how kids, they'll pull their knees up? I don't know, we feel safer. It's like the fetal position, right? Um, I had my knees up against my chest, and I was just rocking. And I was crying. I was just crying, crying, crying. And I remember in that picture, I saw, like, the Holy Spirit came into the room. And then Jesus entered, right? And when Jesus entered the room, it was one of the most amazing things, same, that light, like you could see gold in the light, and it's like even the molecules of air around you would sparkle because they're just excited that he was there. And he's entered this room, and I, and I don't know how to explain this, but it's almost like as he walked in, he had the shadow of a lion. I don't know how you explain that, but like if you shine a light on him, you would see a giant lion. But he's a man. I mean, he's the figure of a man. And I remember feeling him come in, and all this glory, and all this majesty. And I remember thinking, wow, like the air felt charged, you know, like you're about to have a, like when you have a thunderstorm. And there I was, and to my amazement, two-year-old, one-year-old Moses did not turn around. He did not fall to the ground as if he was dead. He did not, you know, praise the name of Jesus. He did not worship. One-year-old Moses was sitting there rocking and crying. And I remember the Holy Spirit, like that still small voice, but it was kind of like up here, you know, in my head. And he went, Mo, don't you want to turn around and see Jesus? And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Like, I could hear my baby voice, like, crying in my head. It's like, why? 
he's good. I said, I know he's good. I know he's great. I know he's amazing. I know he died for us. I know he's this amazing God. But he doesn't care about me. He's, he's out there doing all the God stuff, you know, ruling the planets and healing people. And he's going to Africa a lot and China. I heard that in church. He's this amazing guy. And, and then dad and mom always go off to these trips. But he doesn't know me. He's never come talk to me. He doesn't know me. I heard about it. I heard he died for me. But what does he care about me? My problem, you know, this is a little boy. I didn't have these words, but these are the emotions. My issues are too small for the big people to care about. And I'm there, I'm just rocking, I'm crying. I just, you know, all these, and, and I'm sitting there in this prayer session, I'm going, this is blasphemous. This is, this is not right. I'm a church leader. I shouldn't be saying these things. This shouldn't be in my heart. But it was. And I remember, I remember in that picture, I was just like, my brain is literally racing to come up with a religious reason to, to, to excuse my thoughts, to say, oh, you know, I feel this way sometimes, but, you know, it's time to hold on to faith and declare the goodness of God. And I'm racing in my mind to come up with a reason for my bad behavior. And in that picture, all of a sudden, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a feeling, but it's not there. But I remember I felt these big arms, warmth, just scoop me up. And, and he didn't even invade my, my, my inner space privacy. He kind of went right around the knees, like you would with a little kid, just everything, right? <laughs> just grabbed me, pulled me up. And I remember this weirdest, one of the weirdest things in my life. You know, I'm in the middle of an air-conditioned room in Singapore, and yet I felt wet, warm water just dripping on my, my neck. And I, and I was so, I was so like freaked out by the situation. I was like, I can't turn around. I can't turn around. I can't open my eyes, right? I'm just, I'm praying with a person. I'm just sharing with them what's, what I'm seeing. I said, I feel water. I feel like something. And in my heart, I turned around. And before me was not the greatest king of the universe, not this lion of majesty with, with demons shriveling up around him. I saw a man with big curly hair. And he was ugly crying. Do you know ugly crying? It's not cry You know like when we often think Jesus cried? Jesus cries and I'm thinking <laughs> I think that when I think Jesus you know the, this lamb of God crying I think that he was ugly crying like <laughs> like, like, like all out not ashamed, not embarrassed, just ugly cry, just let's <gasps> just heaving and little one year old plus me goes that's an ugly cry. Like just, just arrested by this, this guy. And he's just weeping and it's his tears that was that thing on my neck. And the moment my little heart saw that, something shifted in me. There's no preaching, no sermon, no reminder of the word of God. It, I had heard those verses, I'd memorized those verses, yet something in my heart clicked for that moment. And I went, I cried too. I ugly cried too. And, I, and, I, and here's the weirdest thing. I was seeing this in first person, right? I see two little hands. My hands go up. And I did this involved. I didn't even think about it. My hands just shot up. And I start wiping his face. And I say, Jesus, don't cry. Don't cry, Jesus. It's okay. Don't cry. Here I am consoling him. A minute ago, it's pity party. Suddenly I'm like, don't cry, Jesus. Don't cry. It's okay, Jesus. And all that happened in that, in that, in that moment of prayer was I just saw for myself in my heart. Somehow the Holy Spirit made it real to me. It may not be real to anyone else, but he made it real to me. More real than, than, than this, this music stand right here. And I, and I understood it. I got it. I was like, you are not a God who cannot understand. You have been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. It, it, it's, it's more than mental agreement. It was real here. And I remember I just cried and I cried and I cried. I know I say I cry a lot. I actually don't. I, I try very hard not to. You know, I grew up in that realm of men don't cry, boys don't cry. And I just cried. And that's it. You know, I, there wasn't this, this great prayer of, okay, God, now that I have this revelation, I'll go to the nation. It wasn't. He, he, didn't, he didn't show me that just so that I could be here tonight and share that with you. He did that because... He started this from the beginning. He started this from the very beginning to, to bring his children, his sons and daughters, back to his heart, to know, whom as, know him as he is, as a father. 
But here's the amazing thing, and I just say, I say this so carefully because when I've shared this before in certain places, it's like pastor's conferences, people want breakthrough because they want more anointing. They want to see more sick healed. They want bigger churches. They want bigger crusades. They want bigger breakthrough. And, and, I, and, I, and if, if that's what you want, that's great. But don't use this for that. But the truth of the matter is this. After that night, I didn't change overnight, but I can tell you the truth. I did have more breakthrough in my life. I did feel like I heard him clearer. I did feel like more prayers were answered in short amounts of time with more clarity of why he was doing things. And he wouldn't speak to me. I'm, I'm not answering this prayer because the way of what you're praying for is not that right. And he would speak to me. And I would actually want to know why, not just have a yes or no. Sometimes we do that with God, right? He's the doorkeeper, right? He's the doorman. God, which way ever you open the door, that's the door to go through. And we don't ask why. We don't ask what's your purpose, what's your vision, what do you want us to accomplish in that season, what's the time frame. We just want a yes, no. We want to know which door to walk through. And we forget it's a relationship. And that, that shifted the way I did ministry. It shifted the way I did my finances. It shifted the way that we did everything. And I feel like tonight, oh, Jesus, it's so weird. I feel like tonight God wants me to pray for you and it's really the first time, I, I'll be honest with you, it's the first time, don't worry, it's all replaceable. All this doesn't really matter. I can deal with paper and pencil, if that breaks. Um, it's really the first time I kind of felt led to do this, to be very honest. It's kind of weird for me. I feel like God wants me to pray tonight, after this sharing, just to pray a prayer of impartation. And to pray a prayer that that God would bring you into some real new seasons of intimacy. Maybe you've had experiences like this. Then I pray that you would have a refreshing, that you would have a deeper, that you would go deeper. All I want to do tonight is just ask God out of this testimony, because testimony means that he'll do it again, right? I want to pray tonight that God, with all my heart, that God would give you more, give all of us, me included, all experiences like these where he takes his word, and it's not just a mental agreement that the Bible says this, and I believe the Bible because the infallible word of God, but he actually brings it alive in your heart. And I believe those two things together, not, and, I'm, and of course I'm not saying take any ima vain imagination and say, oh, God did this, God that, please don't do that. I think you know better, you have an amazing pastor. You know how to steward what God shows you. You know how to bring it to spiritual leadership. You know how to bring it into accountability with the written word of God. But if God does show you something that is accountable to his word, it's, it's in line, and it gives you just that, that shift in your heart, I really believe it will be a blessing to you. So I just want to pray for you tonight, if that's okay. I'm sorry, can I just ask, how long have I been speaking for? It's 8.42. About 45 minutes. Okay. No, I, I'm, I'm trying. I've actually lost track. I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm sorry. I'm just really trying to figure out what he's, how he's going. Oh, Jesus. It's your fault if this is wrong. <laughs> I, I, sorry, I, can I just share a couple more things with you before I pray? Okay, Jesus. So there's this passage, right, in, in, in Matthew chapter 4. It's also in Luke chapter 4, but I like the Matthew chapter 4 version. And um, it's about, oh, Jesus. It's about the temptation that Jesus went through in the wilderness. And I usually, I'm scared of sharing this because I usually start off a whole conference with this. Like it becomes the backbone for a lot of the things I share about what Jesus went through. Because I believe in that temptation where you can learn a lot. Because I, 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 you know, if you, if you will go through it, you'd see that many of the temptations we go through are the same one that Jesus went through. And, um, but I just, I just feel like God wants me to highlight just this one thing before we pray. 
I'd like to say the first, but because different accounts of the Bible order the temptations differently, I won't say the first, but I'll say, I'll refer to it as the stones into bread. You familiar with what I'm talking about? So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, and it says he's brought up there by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, the devil comes to him and tempts him. And I believe there are three temptations he goes through. And in the three, you can actually discover the temptation to forget who you are as a son or daughter of God. It's a temptation of the orphan spirit. And you can actually, and hopefully I'll have a chance to share this another time, but you can mirror this to the parable of the good father, or some call it the prodigal son. In the gifts that the father gives to the son when he returns, the ring, the robe, and the sandals. It's a beautiful connection. And hopefully we have another time for that sometime else. But tonight, I just felt God want me to just touch on this. In the temptation of the bread into stone, or stone into bread, sorry. Bread into stone. You want to do that? In the stone into bread, I always like to ask people, what do you think the temptation was? And many people say, oh, it's because Jesus was really hungry. And yes, he was. Four days, four nights. The longest I've ever gone was seven days fasting. I've never done longer than that so far, and it was hard. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm sure he's hungry. But I don't think it's just about physical weakness. Because the devil says this to him, he says, if you are the son of God, then command this stone to be turned into bread. And I believe that the temptation that he's asking is about his identity. It's about who he is. It's not about are you hungry. It's have you forgotten who you are because of your hunger? Has this situation that you're in, the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, led you out here, has this caused you to think, I don't have enough bread? And I, and I, and I have this feeling, and forgive me if I'm off, but I feel like God also wants to, to give you experiences and touch you in this area of bread. Let me just talk about that in a second, but I want to finish this. So this temptation is, do you have enough bread? And that's connected to the prayer of sons, right? The son's prayer is, Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. I don't like to call it sinner's prayer. I call it the son's prayer because it's about sonship, right? Holy Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's not just about provision, but it's about every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is our daily bread. It's his rhema and logos. It's his direction, his wisdom. It's his advice to sons. It's his teaching, his guidance, his discipline. And Jesus is there 40 days and 40 nights in the desert without anything to eat, drink, no shelter. Not just that, he doesn't know why he's there. I, I believe this. I, I, I could be wrong in my interpretation. But have you ever gone into ministry or gone to a project or gone into a job or gone into a season of obeying God and suddenly everything dries up? You're like, God, I obeyed you. I stepped out. I sold that car. I moved. I did this. I opened that ministry. I opened that cafe. And it's empty. Nothing's moving. Nothing's going. Nothing's growing. Nothing's living. It's a wilderness out here. Have you seen? It's dry, God. Maybe God gave you a, a cell group or he gave you a church and he's like, nothing's happening out here. And then the devil comes along and says, if you are the son of God, do something. Make it work for yourself. Write a better newsletter. Start a social media ministry. Have better lighting. Have a better band. People will come. Have this, have that. Change this, change that. Declare more, pray more, fast more. Do, 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 do. What can you do to show that you are son of God? And Jesus rebukes the devil and he says, Man shall not, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and I like to, you know, I, like I said, I'm an imaginative person. I like to imagine this. It's not just Jesus quoting and shrugging it off. He's there and he's, can you, just, would you join me with this? Just imagine. He's there, led by the Holy Spirit. Go. And he goes. One day passes. No food, no water, no shelter. Scorching in the day, freezing at night. All he hears is the wind blowing. There's not even life, no animals around. Maybe he hears some jackals in the distance, and he's alone. And he goes to bed that night, and he's got nothing. Second day comes, nothing. Third day, nothing. I've been on, I was in the army. We, I, the longest I was on duty for, like perpetual guard duty, was a mountain defense. We were there for two straight days. Those 48 hours felt like eternity. I have no idea how Jesus did 40 days. 
Third day comes along, nothing. Fourth day comes along, nothing. Wandering, wandering, wandering. Fifth day comes along, wandering. No one to heal, no sermon to preach, no one to baptize, no one to give a testimony to. What am I doing here? What's going on? Why is, God, where are you going with this? Where's that breakthrough I've been waiting for? Six day, seven day, eight day, nine day, ten day, eleven day. You know how it goes. But he says this to the devil. He says this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I thought to myself, what'd that look like? Here's what I think it looks like. Jesus goes to bed that first night. He has nothing to eat, nothing to drink. His lips are parched. I did a one day, 24 hours, no food, no water. By the end of the day, I had cracks all over my lips. Just one day. Uh, Jesus, probably worse, because he's out in the blowing wind of a desert. He's parched. He's shivering. He didn't say he brought camping gear or extra clothing. He's lying there in the sand. He's shaking. He's as human as we are, because he understands all the things that we're tempted by. He's shivering there at night. He probably can't sleep that well. He's got one thing. He says, Father... You there? And it says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I believe my whole heart, what sustained him those four days, was the words of God. He says, Father, are you there? He has nothing. But he hears a voice. Son, I'm here. Hang in there. Hang in there. Yes, I called you out here. Yes, I called. Yes, you're perfect. Father, did I disobey? Did I miss your will for my life? No. You're right there, son. You're right there. Father, it's a desert. There's no one here for us to minister to or love. Yes, son, just stones. I know, but you're right in the middle of my will. You're right where I've sent you. You're right accomplishing every task. I'm proud of you. You are a great son. I love you. Everything's going wrong. I know it is. I know. And the devil's tempting you, and he's going to tempt you. I know, but I'm here with you, and you can live on my word. Because breakthrough is going to come. The season will pass. And you will see what's accomplished just ahead, son. Just ahead. Just ahead. Hang in there. He wakes up the next morning. Got no breakfast. No muesli. No milk. Now it's, the sun starts to come up and he's, he's shivering and he knows he's going to be scorching soon. Father, you, good morning. Good morning, son. You made it through the night. Great job. Hang in there. I'm so proud of you. You're just like me. And he's feeding and he's drinking and he's eating the one thing he's got left. And that's the word of God. I don't know about you. I've been through this. I feel like I'm going through this in this currency for the last two years. I've been marginally employed. And there are really moments where I'd say, God, you've taken everything from me. What more do you want? I've gone through nations. I've served you. God, I know you know my heart. And I'm just, I'm just venting before you because I know you're a safe place. But this is how I really feel right now. And God would say to me, you have my voice. I said, God, then let that be enough. Let me learn to rejoice in the one thing I've got. I've got so much more than one thing. I've got a beautiful wife and a son, but I'm learning, God, how to live on this one thing, even if I have to. Let that be the most important thing. And I believe that's what Jesus meant. He, he had conviction, and not just quoting a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but he had conviction when he said, Devil, you have no clue what food I eat. You have no idea what it's like for a son to hear his father. You were an angel created, you fell but you have no concept of what it's like. And I believe that's what God wants to encourage you tonight. That you, would, that you have been designed to live off of His Word and that He would speak to you no matter the situation. And yes, sometimes it will feel like 40 days before a breakthrough comes. But I believe in my whole heart, if you hear His voice, it will be more than enough. I believe that's how our brothers in China, in India, and Nepal, how they went through those persecutions. They didn't have anything, but they had the one thing that can never be taken from you. And that's that intimate relationship with God. And I want to exhort you with that tonight.